Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, good morning, church. It's all right, it's good morning. Yeah. It is, it is so good for me to be here with you. Um, and I know that everybody always says that when they're a guest, but I really mean that. As Pastor Ed was saying, I'm from Petaluma, California, at least that's where I pastor anyways now, for 19 years. And it has been seven months since our church has gathered in our building. And so being able to be here with you all this weekend has just so filled me up and um, I'm just so grateful, and I really mean that, to be with God's people. Um, if, you, if you don't know, the, the state of California has moved from a phased system to a color-coded system because that's not confusing at all. You can just look at a color and automatically know if that's good or bad. So we originally had these three phases, and as we started making progress through the phases, they started adding phases to the phases, so now we're on phase three of phase two, and um, it felt like we started to go backwards and everybody was confused, and so now we're in a color-coded system. And uh, if you wanna know about it, it's really exciting. Purple's really bad, so purple's bad. You can't do anything, everything's shut down, the church can't meet, um, except for maybe 100 people outside if your facility allows for that. Um, and as you progress, red gets a little better, orange, then there's yellow, and there's no green even on the chart. So uh, the idea of being just open and the way things were doesn't even exist right now in California. So our particular county, Sonoma County, um, is in purple, and we've never gotten out of purple. So um, we have not been able to gather and we've been meeting in groups of 10 to 12 in our homes. We call it church at home. And so we have a really strong, small group culture in our church that we've been cultivating for some years, and that has helped us get through this time. And in some ways, it's been really special. There's been some really sweet things about it, just meeting in small groups. Um, but I'll tell you, being here... I, I just, it makes me realize how much I miss gathering with the church body in this way. So you're blessed. I hope you know that. I love the way that your pastors are leading you uh, with purpose and intentionality. Uh, they seem to be really thoughtful. And uh, I'm just taking notes on everything that I'm seeing and hearing because I'm like, man, this is being done well. And I'm so thankful to be here with you. I really do mean that. And let me just say this before I move on, and I will move on, but, but you have an incredible church, and I hope you know that. The gift of hospitality and the other spiritual gifts that have been operating that I can see uh, this weekend being here with you are powerful, they're a blessing, and you know, I, I love our church back home, um, but one of the first things my daughter who was here uh, singing this morning, one of the first things she said after we were here just for a couple hours, she goes, Dad, you need to step up your game. <laughs> so, so that's how we feel about your church, is like there's something exemplary going on here that uh, is inspiring 
um, it's a blessing. And, you know, for me, I love our church. I, I really think it's special. I think everybody should go to Calvary Chapel Petaluma, so you're welcome if you want to come to our church whenever we can gather again. Um, but sometimes I have this concern as a pastor that, um, you know, familiarity can rob us of the richness of things in our lives. We become familiar with them, and you know, it's just human nature, we all do it. We start to take it for granted, right? Until it's taken away. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh man, I really miss that, I really need that. And so you're here, you're gathering, what God is doing is, is incredible. So don't, don't let familiarity rob you of the rich blessing that you have in being a part of this church because it really is something special. And I hope, I hope if nothing else, I can just remind you of that because I'll be gone uh, this afternoon back in California and you'll still be here a part of this church body. And um, I pray that you're blessed because we have been really blessed being here with you. So let's open God's word together. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 12? where we're going to look into God's Word together this morning. Exodus chapter 12. I'm so thankful that we can come boldly to God today to find grace and help in time of need. Because we are in a time of need and the truth is that we always are in need, but one of the gifts of times like these is that we become aware of our need. I don't know if you notice the seasons that we go through life where we don't think we need anything. We think we're self-sufficient. We think we're independent. We're totally self-reliant. And it's times like these that remind us just how in need we are. And so hopefully... It's been a time that's caused us to turn back to the Lord in many ways and cry out to Him. This story in the book of Exodus is something that I've been thinking about a lot through this year because it's a story of God's people crying out to Him in a time of need. The people of Israel have become slaves in a place that they once lived in privilege. Remember that when Joseph was in Egypt, the son of Jacob, he became second in command of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And so Joseph welcomes his father, Jacob, and his family, and they're given a place. They're given a land uh, in Egypt to occupy, and they, they have this privileged place in Egypt. But as the years go by, and Joseph is forgotten... The events turn and the tide turns to where now the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, are enslaved in the land. And just to kind of catch up or set the context, you don't have to turn there, but it's going to provide the backdrop of what we're about to read. But in Exodus chapter 2, that cry from God's people goes up. It says that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. 
And then there in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, there's this beautiful verse where it says that God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And the sentence at first seems incomplete. God knew what? And the answer is, of course, God knew everything. He knew their need. He knew their hopes, their dreams, their desires. He knew the burdens that they carried and the cares that weighed them down. He saw and knew the tears that they cried in the suffering of their slavery. God saw Israel, his people, and he knew. It's a beautiful reminder that this same God that we worship and serve today, who never changes, but is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he sees you, he knows who are his people, and he knows everything about us. God sees you and he knows this morning, right now, right here. He knows what? Everything. He knows the hopes and dreams in your heart. He knows the burdens that are weighing you down. He sees the cares that you're carrying and he invites you right here today to cast your cares upon him and believe that he cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares for you in the midst of all of the things, the cares that we carry, we can fall into the trap of thinking they're so small, they're so insignificant in comparison to the big issues that our world is dealing with right now. But Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, that God cares about the smallest aspects of our life. Jesus reminds us that even when a sparrow falls to the ground and all of us never notice it, we're too busy with bigger things. We don't stop to notice or even see that. But God sees. He sees the sparrow that falls and the argument from the logic of Jesus' teaching is from the lesser to the greater. In other words, how much more does God care about you? You may think, in comparison, the things that you're dealing with are small, but God cares and he invites you to cast your cares upon him, believing that he cares for you. Well, you know the story, many of you, that it goes on from Exodus 2, God raises up Moses who goes to Pharaoh and demands that Pharaoh let God's people go and Pharaoh refuses and makes their labor even harder. He tells Israel that now, because of their insolence, they're going to have to gather the straw that was once provided for the bricks that they were required to make. And so the work to make the bricks was going to increase significantly, but the demand for how many bricks was not going to decrease equivalently. The work was doubling, but the demands were staying the same. And Israel is being absolutely crushed under the load of their work. Even when they ask for relief, even when they cry out to Pharaoh and say, why are we being treated this way? What have we done? They were simply told just to go back to work. And again, I want to get to this part in Exodus chapter 12, but I have to pause here because I can't help but think of the application to God's people today. How many people, how many of you, how many of us 
feel like we're in a time where the work has doubled, but the demands have not decreased. I think at the top of my list, who I consider and watch during this time is you moms, who are trying to figure out in some cases how to, how to do your job that has now changed. Everything about the way you do your job has to change because of the, the pandemic, but you're also trying to figure out how to help your kids navigate through school, which might be in person, but it might also be online or it might be a little bit of both. And so they're at home and you're trying to figure out how all of these things work together. In California, I don't know how it is here, but all of our kids from the youngest uh, up through high school are all at home doing school on their computers. And for, for most of my kids who are a little bit older, uh, it, it's, it's working all right. It's not our preference, but, you know, they're, they're old enough, they're independent. But I watch these moms with kindergartners who are starting out their school experience, trying to get their little kindergarten student to stare at a screen for like six hours out of the day and sit still and learn this lesson. And maybe they have to go to work. And one mom was telling me the other day that to, to provide a place for her kid or someone to watch her kid to do school was costing them $2,500 a month. That's almost a mortgage payment in California. And so I, I look at the burden, I, I see the demand, the doubling of the demands, but the work not decreasing. And I think, man, but again, the Lord hears the cries of his people. And, and in the story, God raises up Moses. Moses cries out to God. And a series of plagues break out, right? The plagues were to show Pharaoh God's power. And each time Pharaoh seemed to soften and be open to Israel leaving, but then he changes his mind and he hardens his heart until the final plague comes, the tenth one, which was an awful plague that took the life of the firstborn in every house in Egypt, except where the blood of a lamb was applied to the doorpost of the home because God had warned his people and provided for their protection. And so that same night, Pharaoh's own son, succumbing to the plague, is enraged and he demands that Israel leaves Immediately, he calls Pharaoh and says, get out of here at once. And so Israel is leaving in a hurry. And this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 33. Please read along as I read out loud to you. Exodus 12, 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Something had changed and it changed quickly where they were once forbidden to go. Now they are being forced out and in a hurry, for they said, we shall all be dead. And so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. 
A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. If you keep reading, the first thing that God did when he delivered his people after 430 years of slavery was to institute a feast called Passover that is still remembered to this day. This feast was to be observed by God's people so that they would remember forever what the Lord had done in delivering them. And connected to the Passover feast was another feast that's lesser known called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when you read about that feast and you read the story in the verses that we read this morning, you read this detail that keeps coming up over and over. Why would there be a feast dedicated to remembering that their bread didn't have leaven in it? Why would it say over and over in the few short verses that we read, why would it draw our attention to this seemingly insignificant detail that there was no leaven in their bread? Verse 39, I think, gives us the sense of why this is important. It says that they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait because they were being compelled to go in a hurry, and so they had not prepared any provisions for themselves. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remember a time in Israel's history where they could not provide for themselves And so they had to learn to depend on the Lord. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was God's reminder to his people of the time that they left Egypt in a hurry and they could not take their possessions with them. They had nothing, no one to depend on but God. And God wanted them from the generations from that point and forever to celebrate all of the times that he had been faithful to provide just what they needed when they had nothing. When this crisis started that we're in, a lot of us were probably thinking, well, I I don't know what you were thinking, but I can tell you what I was thinking. This is probably gonna last a couple weeks at the most, right? 14 days to flatten the curve. And then we're gonna go back to life as usual. Then we're just gonna go back to the way things were. And and so my thought was anybody can white knuckle two weeks, right? That's easy. But now we sit here in the month of October And we realize that this has lasted much longer than any of us anticipated, and we still don't know when it's going to end. The effects of all of this are gonna be 
and already are much deeper than any of us ever realized. I'm not sure what the world on the other side of COVID-19 will look like or that it will ever really be the same. In the little town of Petaluma where I live, it's about 60,000 people that live there and it has this little historic downtown area with these buildings that were built in the 1800s right on the river there. And it's so sad to go downtown right now because all of these shops and businesses that have been there, some of them for many, many years are gone. They haven't been able to open and, and so they've gone out of business. And, and I think of people's livelihoods and their life work that's just gone. And it makes me wonder what the world will look like on the other side of this. In that sense, it feels to me like we're being led out into the wilderness. What is the wilderness? It's where God led his people when he delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. It was an uninhabited place that they were going to have to learn how to live in. It was a place that they had not previously lived before. No one lived in the wilderness, but they were going to have to learn to navigate it. They were going to have to learn in the wilderness the lesson of depending on God. You know, it seems to me that previously we put a lot of faith in the way that things were. We learned to depend on life the way that things were. We loved the power that the previous way gave us to be independent and self-reliant, the illusion of being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Just to illustrate that mentality in a, in a really small and simple and yet everyday kind of way, you could go online and order just about anything from anywhere in the world and it would be in your hands in just a few days. You didn't even have to leave your home. Everything you had was accessible and available. Anything you wanted was available to you and you didn't even have to go anywhere or talk to anyone. Just push a button, it's yours. Man, that's power. But I don't think any of us comprehended how fragile all of that was. The illusion of power and complete independence was crushed by a plague, a pandemic, a virus that's so small we can't even see it. It crippled and toppled and disrupted so many parts of the world, so many industries, so many people's lives. It's been chaotic. And so as we sit here in this kind of night waiting to see what the day, the future will bring when all of this breaks, some of us are reflecting on what life used to be like and, and some of us are mourning. We want it to go back. We're, some of us, our mentality through all of this has been, hey, just call me when this is over and I'll come back when we go back to the way things were. But I wonder if you've considered we're not supposed to go back. 
And I mean this now as people of faith. Because this was the constant temptation of God's people in Israel when things got difficult, when things weren't the way they used to be. They would say, Moses, why have you let us out here? You brought us out here to die. We would be better off going back to Egypt. I suggest to you that God doesn't want us to have our sights or our hearts set on going back. Because that was a kind of slavery. You know, I I look at the life that my family used to live before COVID and it was insane how busy everybody was. Our lives were insane. And it was all good stuff. It was soccer and gymnastics and sports and church and everything you could think of. Life was insane. (laughs) And in some ways, I look at the loss of a lot of things, but I I look at it and I go, I don't want to go back. That was, what were we doing? That was nuts. I think our priorities were all out of whack. And maybe God wants to lead us out of the slavery of such an independent, self-reliant, self-sufficient way of living. God wants to set us free, church. Because the world's way will always lead to slavery. It will offer you what you want and then enslave you. And I believe the Lord is here today. I believe that God's put this message on my heart to allow us to hear the invitation from him that he wants to set us free. But here's the question, because this was the dilemma for the children of Israel. Everything changed in a hurry. And they had to decide in a moment's notice, what will you take with you and what will you leave behind? They were forced to leave in a hurry. There was no going back. It's not like they could make multiple trips to make sure they got all of their possessions. They had to take basically what they could carry. It says they had some bowls with some bread that didn't even have leaven in it. They just had this dough and they're running out of Egypt because God has opened the door. What do we want to take with us and what do we want to leave behind? I think that's a question for each one of us personally and it's a question for us as a church family. Because there were the way that we did things. There were the things that were important to us. There were the things that we were depending on, that we were saying, we can't do ministry without these things. This is how it's done. This is how it looks. But do we know that God is here and is that enough for us? Moses at one point in the wilderness was dealing with 
the anger of God towards his people because the people were once again complaining and saying, we want to go back to Egypt. And so God says, I'm still going to fulfill my promise. I still have a place for you, but you're going to lead these people, Moses, and I'm not going with you. And do you remember Moses' prayer on the mountain with God? God, I don't want to go unless you go with us. That's a prayer in the wilderness where we learn to depend on God, where he is enough for us. If we have him, we have everything we need. If we don't have him, we have nothing. You know, in some ways this time for me as a pastor has felt like God is just hitting the hard reset on the church. You know, like he's pushed the power button and held it for 15 seconds and the screen just went blank. And my question is, if we've taken advantage of this opportunity, this time as the people of God to allow him to upgrade the operating system. I believe the Lord wants to deliver us from the bondage of our lives lived in our own strength and not his. And now is the time for us to seek the Lord. Now is the time for us to focus on him and decide when all this is said and done, what will we take with us and what will we leave behind? What is truly important to us? Because the gift of a crisis church is clarity. There's many challenges in a crisis, but there are gifts as well. And the gifts of any crisis is crystal clear clarity. They say when you're drowning, your life flashes before you. It may be just a little less dramatic, but in any crisis, you're making decisions at a moment's notice. And as you reflect back on what you did, you realize this was what was important to me in that notice. None of that other stuff that I spend so much of my time and invest so much of my life in mattered in the moment of crisis. You know, in California where I live, we're dealing with these wildfires all of the time. Since 2017, fires every year, sometimes a couple of times a year, have burned through our communities in a devastating way. Thousands of people fleeing their homes, being evacuated. Hundreds of homes are lost. Millions of dollars of damages. There's a fire right now burning in our area where they're hoping to get it contained this week, the glass fire. But once again, we went through the cycle of evacuations. And our little town of Petaluma, the fires haven't reached into Petaluma, but our town has become the place where everybody evacuates because everything else is on fire. And so our church will open up sometimes for two weeks at a time having hundreds of people living in our church building because they have nowhere to go. And our community has become very accustomed to the conversation about the little black box. Have your little black box ready to go. What's the little black box? It's the box with the most important documents and possessions that you have that you can grab when there's no more time than grabbing what you can carry in your arms and fleeing the flames. That's what's in the black box. It makes you think about what's important. And so church, what is important to us? What's in our little black box, so to speak? You know what else you realize is important in a crisis is not just what's in the black box, but your relationships, the community, your family, 
That's all that really matters. And just like Israel, church, I don't think we're supposed to go back and we can't take everything with us. It's happening in a hurry. So we need to ask this question, what's important to us? I'm praying that God's church will come out of this stronger. And you may think that's an obvious prayer to pray, but some of our faith, I think, on many days is not even rising above the level of, Lord, help us survive this. But what if God is wanting to use this time to strengthen and refine us as his church so that we come out stronger? But but see, the paradox for us is, what does that mean? How do we come through this time stronger? And of course, as Christians, the answer is we get stronger by becoming more dependent on God and less dependent on ourselves. That's where our strength is. It's the opposite of the definition of the strength that the world operates in. The more independent you become, the stronger you are. For God's people, it's different. Because we want to be strong in the strength of the Lord. We want to be strong in the strength that he supplies. Not in our own strength. Not by might, Zechariah said. Not by power. But by your spirit, Lord. This is our strength. And this is the class that the people of God never graduate from. Dependence on him. This was the lesson of the wilderness. I will lead you out. You'll leave in a hurry. You won't even have the ability to provide for yourself, but I will provide for you and I will protect you. I will send you bread from heaven, water from a rock. I will make a way in the seas where there is no way and I will destroy your enemies. The Lord was providing as his people learned to depend on him. And this is the lesson for us. It always is in every season and at every turn. God is inviting us to learn to depend more on him. And we have our own feast, don't we? The fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus, the Passover lamb who took the bread and the cup and gathered his family at the table and said, remember me. What should we remember, Lord? That I will provide for you what you could not provide for yourself. I will save you and keep you safe. And I will prepare a place for you. And so we follow him by faith into the wilderness, the son of man who had no place to lay his head. And the opportunity that we have right now, church, is a gift to ask this question, Lord, what's important to us? What should we take? And what should we leave behind? Winston Churchill said, never waste a crisis. And it reminds us that very few of us have the discipline or motivation to make transformative change in our own lives by ourselves. Most people, it, it requires a health crisis before they make lifestyle changes in their habit or exercise. 
or an economic crisis or, or some crisis, it's usually in crisis that transformative change comes into our lives. But here we are, church, in the midst of a real crisis in a world that God loves, a health crisis that's become an economic crisis, that's become an emotional crisis, that has become even for the church, I think in some ways an identity crisis. Who are we if we can't do what we used to do? But God is not limited by any of our limitations. And God has a way where it seems like there is no way. And when we learn to, de to depend on him, guess what? We get to see him do great and mighty things. How many of you would love to see God do great and mighty things in our day? I do too. I want to be transformed by the crisis into a man who learns to trust God more and depend on him. To be with a people who move out into the wilderness on this incredible adventure of following him by faith and seeing him do great and mighty things. Church, let's allow the Lord to lead us in this time. Let's listen to the Lord to help us see what we need to let go of and leave behind. Even good things. It's not like it's evil or sinful. If, you, if you're holding on to those things, please lay them down today. But sometimes it's the good things that we start to depend on that get in the way of the best thing, which is God himself, who is here and who wants to do great and mighty things. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we want to see you move with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Lord, we want to be set free from the slavery of our own self-reliance on our own strength. So Lord, show us the way. We're waiting on you. Maybe this is our moment at the, at the Red Sea caught between a rock and a hard place where we'll hear your voice say to us, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We're wondering if we should fight or swim, but Lord, you have a way where there is no way. Lord, teach us to depend on you. Help us to be loyal to you above all else. Let us right now in this place be willing to let go of anything that we need to leave behind and to believe that if we go forward with nothing but you, we have everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
You know, church, it's always important to me. I want to teach my church this continually, but it's important to me that we learn to respond to God's word when we hear it. I always tell my church the worst thing that you could ever say when you leave church is, that was nice. Nice is like a four-letter word in our church because if God's speaking, we should respond. James says the quickest way that we deceive ourselves is when we fall into that place of complacency where we are happy to be hearers of the word without being doers of it. And so what is God calling you to do today? What is God calling you to lay down and leave behind as you follow him into the wilderness? One thing you could do is pray for your leaders, your pastors, because they're making difficult decisions, but pray that God would give them discernment and courage to lead the church in these times. But it's not just a question for our church, it's a question for each one of us. Maybe there's something that God's calling you to lay down, an attitude, a preference, an agenda. Can you lay those down? Even if you think you're 1,000% right, can you lay those down and say, Lord, I lay these down because I want to learn to be dependent on you. And if he calls you to pick it back up, then do it. How is God calling you to respond in this place? I want to invite you to do that. The pastors are going to come forward in just a moment and be available to pray. Come and get prayer. Come and confess. Come and lay down the burdens that you're carrying. And, and you can do it in your seat. It, it's a simple act and transaction of faith from your heart. That's what's important. But I find that so often I need, I need my body to express and to move in a way that moves my heart. You know, it's just like exercise. There's like a spiritual connection. You get your body moving and it gets your heart moving. And so we lift our hands in worship and we kneel in the presence of the Lord and we come forward because we want our hearts to not be hardened but to move and to be responsive to the Lord. And so I just invite you to move in whatever way you need to respond to the Lord this morning. Stand and lift your hands and surrender. Kneel and bow in submission to his will. Come and receive prayer. Confess your sin. Lay down your cares and burdens to him because the Lord is here and he wants to do great and mighty things. I pray that a time of renewal would happen in our hearts and in our homes and in our small groups and in our ministries and in our churches and that it would become so widespread, the work of God's renewal, that it could actually be called a revival. Lord, come and do great and mighty things as we respond to you this morning. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.